That slide, if you didn't know, we are moving the services, shifting to Saturday night in September. We're excited about that. We're going to be sharing space with Newtown United Methodist, and it's just that's part of who we are as a church, this belief in, in, uh, in shared campuses, and that so many churches, they just sit empty during the week, and so we believe that the only way that's going to change if churches are willing to begin to work together and come together, and so uh, the, the uh, Newport News campus is in a shared space facility. This one's going to shift to Saturday night, so it can be, and then the campus that we're launching on the south side uh, in January of 2016. That's going to be a, uh, a shared uh, facility also. We, we still haven't found the church that's going to say yes to that, but we know we are, and so it's, uh, it's going to be good. So, Don, can you turn me down just a little bit, because I'm probably going to get a little bit louder. been on vacation for two weeks, so I have a lot of preaching to do, right? You're like, great. Hey, just quick, too, that it is a light week, so if you're able to stay, all of this has to go back in the trailer, so any help that you can give us at the end of the service would be, uh, for, be greatly appreciated. And I just want to go back to the military pool party. Uh, we've gone to, we're, we've never served in the military, but because we're on staff, we get the privilege of being there to love on our military families, and, and so we look forward to that every year. Our first one that we went to was in the summer of 2007. It was before we had moved here to come on staff. We were in town and, and stayed for that, and uh, Dustin Stellman, it's a young family in our Newport News campus, he was in the Navy for years and recently got out, and he came up to me during announcements last night and said, I just want you to know, Fred, my biggest regret in getting out of the military is that I can't go to the military pool party anymore. So it was hilarious. It was so good. He said, he said, when I, he said there was this moment where I realized, wait a minute, I can't go to the Rich Axe anymore for one of those burgers. He said, we've got to start with some type of veterans pool party, right, so I can... I can re-engage and go back. And so those are just great moments, too, just to encourage you because you build relationships in those places. Your kids get connected with other kids in those places. I mean, uh, weekend services are a huge part of life as a devoted follower of Christ, but if that's all that you ever do, you're never going to get as deep as you need to be to be spiritually healthy. And so it's events like that that's, uh, where we just go and have fun together. You begin to have conversations with each other, and, and relationships just go deep. It's a pathway for us, we call it, if you've been with us for any amount of time. It's the pathway of relationships. It's an important part of our journey together. So um, so we're glad that you're here. We're in a series uh, on the Holy Spirit all summer and uh, listening to the podcast while we were away. And uh, Jamie's message was fantastic, just talking about the Trinity. And then uh, uh, in Newport News, Steve Ruggiero did a, a message on spiritual warfare. Those are on our website. You can catch up if you want on our podcast. And I've been working this week to, uh, on a two-part message on the Holy Spirit and what happened in Acts chapter 2 and, and uh, what's this word Pentecost or Pentecostal that you hear talked about a lot. Why, is, why do we use that phrase? What does that mean? And so I had a, a, a two-part sermon uh, that was going to be a part of the series that, that I worked on all week. And so, uh, but on Friday, all of that changed for me. It, it really started on Monday when we were doing our reading through the Bible in a year. And I, I want to share this with you. I got to I was reading in chapter 1, chapter 1, and I was at, tw- at verse 24 through 33. I want to read, read through those verses. It says, I called to you so often, but you wouldn't come. This is talking about wisdom, which I believe in the Proverbs it's called wisdom, but this is really the, the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, which we understand through our study of the Gospels and who Jesus says the Holy Spirit is. And so when you read about this voice of wisdom calling out to us in Proverbs, that's talking about the work of the Holy Spirit. I called you so often, but you wouldn't come. I reached out to you, but you paid no attention. You ignored my advice and rejected the correction I offered, so I will laugh when you were in trouble. 
I will mock you when disaster overtakes you, when calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster engulfs you like a cyclone and anguish and distress overwhelm you, when the cry for help, when, when the cry for help, when they cry for help, I will not answer. Though they anxiously search for me, they will not find me, for they hated knowledge and they chose not to fear the Lord, which means to give God the place of authority in our life that he deserves. They rejected my advice and paid no attention when I corrected them, therefore they must eat the bitter fruit of living their own way, choking on their own schemes for simpletons, which means that somebody who knew the good that they ought to do and chose not to do it. For simpletons turn away from me to death. Fools are destroyed by their own complacency, but all who listen to me will live in peace, untroubled by fear of harm. And I was reading that, just something inside of me was really stirred, and so I'm thinking to myself, is this the Holy Spirit trying to speak to me, right? When you're reading the Bible and you have some sense of something coming alive, you know, I'm hoping you're asking that question. God, are you trying to speak to me? And, 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 I, and I didn't feel like this was something for, for me specifically, and so then I'm praying, you know, is this supposed to be a sermon? Is this supposed to be just a, maybe it's a worship wrap-up that I'm supposed to share? And I'm sorting through all of that, and so I kind of just came to the conclusion that maybe it's just going to be a prophetic moment in one of our services or possibly a sermon later on on the Holy Spirit in the series. So I just kind of made a mental note of it. But I think that was the Holy Spirit kind of just cueing me into the realization that what I thought we were going to preach on this week was going to change, you know? And uh, I believe in the, in the ministry and the work of angels in the world today. In fact, we were talking about the Newport News campus. That would be a great series. We should do a series on angels and what the Bible says about angels. It would be a fascinating study. And so we got to put that on the list of things to do. But I also believe that angels are assigned to churches and the book of Revelation hints at that. And so sometimes I think that, 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 uh, that there's meetings of angels during the week when we're planning our services. You with me? And, 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 and they're working together uh, in the heavenlies so, so that things can be accomplished in our weekend services that are supposed to be accomplished. And, and I think part of that is asking the question, who's going to be at the service, right? Because we don't know who's going to come, but God knows who's going to come because he has foreknowledge. And I think he communicates that to the angels. So I was kind of just had this comical picture in my head this week as I realized things were beginning to change. That there was probably some meeting of angels in the heavens, right? And they were saying, Who's going to be there? Well, we've got some holdouts. We've got some people there. They're planning on coming, but they're not sure. And so, you know, and then they're saying, okay, what's Fred preaching about? Are oh, he's preaching about the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's a good series. Well, what about, well, he's going to talk about Acts chapter 2 and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Oh, that's one of my favorite sermons of his. It's going to be good, right? But, but these holdouts, they need something different. That's not what those holdouts need. Well, when are we going to know when they come? Well, we don't know when they're going to come. God knows, but he hasn't told us yet, right? So, so what are we going to do with Fred? Well, we just maybe give him a little hint that something might change, all right? So let's use Fred, right? So, so, and so on Friday... We scooted away late uh, Thursday afternoon, and, and the Nowatneys and the Hiltzes were down at Lake Gaston, so we took our boat down there because all their kids had not kneeboarded or, or tubed, and I just got a text from Anthony Hiltz that his son in his journal drew a picture of him kneeboarding behind a boat as one of his great accomplishments in life. It's so awesome, right? To see that look on kids' faces of just delight, it's just a beautiful thing. And so we were down there just pl pl letting the kids play, letting the kids play, and so we were... We, and then 
then we came back Friday afternoon. And so I'm uh, taking the boat to the ramp. Vanessa's driving to meet me there. And as I'm, as I'm on the Lake Gaston cruising to the, to the boat ramp, I just I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to me about the story of Peter when he was miraculously released from prison. I just, I just felt it. We're supposed to talk about that story this weekend. And then God gave me, gave me four phrases. He can, we must, no shame, no return. He can, we must, no shame, no return. Just in a moment, those four phrases just dropped in my heart. That story, and it's right, I think that was the, right, the angels are saying, okay, we've got to give him something. Here, he's he's got to preach on Saturday night and Sunday morning. It's Friday afternoon. He, he, he needs some time, right, to get this thing together. Both of our cars are going into the shop unexpectedly, and so we're at the airport trying to get a rental car yesterday, right? I'm in the parking lot just as Vanessa's inside praying and, and finding the verses to connect to these concepts and thoughts. And sometimes I think God does it that way, so I don't have it long enough to mess it up. Right? You ever had that feeling? Right? And so I came into last night and this morning with just an incredible sense of excitement because I, I don't know which one of you were the holdouts, right, that are responsible for this big change. But somebody here, God knew what you needed to hear. And last night, amazing. And this morning, it's going to be just as good. That God speak. There were people that came up last night, you know, thinking that confidences had been violated of things that they had shared with friends. Did you tell Pastor Fred about what? Because I told you not to tell him, right? Like, no, I didn't tell him. But God knows. And he hears. And he's willing to make changes and switch things up so that we come into moments like this, that what we need is prepared for us and is ready. So, Father, this morning as we dive into this message that you've put together, God, we say let it be that those of us that are being held captive today, that we would be free in Jesus' name. All right, let me read to you out of Luke chapter 4. This is Jesus really at the launch. It's at the beginning of his ministry. He was about 30 years old when he came onto the scene and he ministered uh, as, as the earthly Messiah for about three years before his death and, and, and resurrection. And so this is kind of early on. He's been baptized, which was kind of his declaration of his public ministry. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was led away, uh, faced the devil, uh, conquered that moment, and, uh, and now he's begun his work. And so we're going to pick up in verse 14. It says, then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power, and reports about him spread quickly throughout the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up and he read the scriptures. And a scroll was handed to him. Now the Bible, right, in both Old and New Testament, its original form, did not have chapters and verses, right? So the Old Testament was just a series of scrolls and, and, and writings. And so they hand him this scroll of the book of Isaiah. And, and so he unrolled the scroll and he found the place where this was written. Now we know it now that chapters and verses have been added to help us study it. It's chapter 61. So he finds this place in the scroll, and he reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, and he's sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, he handed it back to the attendant, and he sat down, and all eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently, right? Because they're hoping for a little bit more. There's all these rumors and stories about him performing miracles. And then he began to speak to them, and he said, the scripture that you've just heard has been fulfilled this very 
day. Jesus was saying, hey, what Isaiah was talking about, he was talking about the coming of my life. And I think when Jesus was talking about that, he was talking about real people in real situations that needed to be set free. Things like social justice and people that are held captive. You think about in places in the world that don't have the freedoms that we do, that these are, these are speaking to real practical circumstances, places of captivity, people that need freedom. And I think he's talking about that, but he's not just talking about that. He's talking about the imprisonment that can happen in the heart. That some of us living in this country, enjoying all the freedoms that we have on the inside, we're imprisoned. In our hearts, there's a sense of being held captive. And it, and it might be today that you're being held captive by a crisis. It might be a situation and a circumstance that's beyond your control, that's overwhelming, that has become something for you that is all-consuming and it's hard for you to see anything else. It is as though you've been trapped inside of a prison and Jesus is saying, I've come to set you free. It might be that today that you're trapped by your personality. Maybe the excesses of your personality, which all of us have. And if you didn't know that there were excesses of your personality, then maybe that's your excesses, not being self-aware, right? All of us have excesses to our personalities that oftentimes we use an excuse. When I got to this point last night, I noticed that over on my far right, there was a group of people that just started laughing and looking at each other. And after the service, they came up to me that these two ladies had, had, were, were, uh, were talking just this week about how the greet time makes them uncomfortable because they're terribly introverted people. And they said, we just don't participate in the greet time because it makes us feel uncomfortable. And we just said, you know what, this is just how God made us and just he doesn't want us to do that. And, so, and so, so I'm preaching about this idea of excesses of personality because that's what we're talking about. They're letting their personality dictate what they may or may not do as opposed to saying, God, what do you want me to do in spite of my personality, right? And so now I'm saying, okay, I'm looking for you in the greet time next week that you're gonna be, you're gonna be an extrovert for three minutes, right? An extrovert for three minutes. But, but it might be that your personality is that you have a tendency to say things that you shouldn't say and you hurt people's feelings. And you've said things like, well, this is just how God made me, right? And God says, well, I gave you that personality, but I didn't give you that personality to harm, right? There's excesses to our personality, whether we're overly withdrawn or whether we're out there too much, or maybe we work too hard or we don't work hard enough. God's not going to change our personality, but he wants to temper our personality. For some of us, our personality can become a prison that we hide in as opposed to being out in the world and doing the things that we're supposed to do. It might be a sin that's in your life. It's something that you know that you're not to do, you're not supposed to do, but you just can't seem to break free from it. It could be an addiction. It can be a, a pattern of something in your life. It could be a place in your life. Maybe no one knows about it. You're hiding in that place, but you feel guilty. You know that I should. this should not be a part of my life and you just think there's no way that I could ever break free from this thing because it's had such a control over me for so long. Sometimes people get trapped in their sin because it just becomes so familiar to them. They get desensitized. They don't even realize it's a prison anymore. Come on, God has come to set you free from that. It could be the memory of a past sin. Not that you're doing it today, but you remember the person that you used to be. And we're going to talk about shame some this morning. And the, and the prison that you're in is the shame of the memory of your past. And you think that disqualifies you from God using you to do anything meaningful. It can, uh, fathers oftentimes are passive in the home because they're guilty about the mistakes that they made. And so they think, now I can't lead my children or lead my wife because I'm ashamed of my past. We've got, as fathers and husbands, we've got to break free from the prison of shame so we can lead our families. But I think this is the biggest one of all. 
I think the biggest one of all that Christians suffer from today is the prison of mediocrity. It's just the prison of saying, you know what, this is as good as it's going to get. My marriage isn't going to get any better. Just, I can't be a better father and a husband than I am. I can't be a better wife or a mother than I am. I can't be a better church member than I am today. I'm not really ever going to be a better Christian. You know, I'm going to heaven because I made a vow of devotion to Christ, but God, this is as good as it's going to get. I think mediocrity is the prison that enslaves so many people because it's so subtle because it doesn't necessarily feel wrong. It doesn't feel like it's something that's bad, but mediocrity, I think, is one of the temptations that the devil has released into this world that keeps us from rising to the place and fulfilling the destinies that we're called to fulfill. So let's read this story of Acts 12, and then I think you're going to see how this connects to this concept, and then we're going to work through those four phrases, he can, we must, no shame, and no return. All right, Acts chapter 12, this is verse 1. So we've moved forward in time, right? So what we read in in Luke 4 was Jesus at the beginning of his ministry. He's got three years of ministry. There's his death. There's his resurrection. That was during Passover. There were 50 days, the Feast of Pentecost, which we're going to get to that in the series, the Feast of Pentecost. And so it's after that the church has been born. It's a couple of years, and we find ourselves in this moment. It says, about that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. He had the apostle James... That's John's brother. That's not the James who is the brother of Jesus, but John's brother, killed with the sword. And when Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. Now this took place during the Passover celebration. Then he imprisoned him, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. And Herod intended to bring Peter out for a public trial after the Passover. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed earnestly for him. Come on, may we be a church like that. The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison gate, and suddenly there was a bright light in the cell. And an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. This would be a great sermon for our angel series. The angel struck him on the side to wake him up and said, quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrists. Then the angel told him, get dressed and put on your sandals. And he did. Now put on your coat and follow me. The angel ordered him. So Peter left the cell following the angel, but all the time he thought it was a vision. Now we know that Peter is someone who's had visions, right? He, had the, he was on the rooftop of Joppa and he had the vision of the sheet coming down on all the animals that were in it. And so he thinks, I must be having another vision. He doesn't realize this is literally happening to him. He didn't realize it was actually happening. They passed the first and the second post, came to the iron gate leading to the city, and this opened for them all by itself. So they passed through and they started walking down the street and the angels suddenly left him. Now Peter finally came to his senses and he realized, it's really true, he says. The Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. When he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, which many believe this was the upper room where Jesus had the Last Supper, and it was also the place where they were praying in Acts 1 and 2 and where the Holy Spirit came. So they're in John Mark's mother's house, the upper room, and he knocked at the door in the gate, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. When she recognized, I think this is funny, when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, She ran back inside to tell everyone and left Peter standing at the door. He's like, come on, hey, I break out of prison. I can't even get into the church prayer meeting, right? I'm here. I'm locked outside. 
You're out of your mind, they told her. They said when she insisted, they decided it must be his angel, right? It must be an angel that's assigned to Peter, and you mistook him for Peter. Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking, right? He's knocking. Is anybody going to come let me in? When they finally opened the door and they saw him, they were amazed. He motioned for them to quiet down and told them how the Lord had led him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers what has happened, he said, and, they, and then he went to another place. So I want to start with this idea of, of, of he can, because we read that story and we think, are you kidding me, right? I mean, it's absolutely otherworldly and supernatural that all of those things could have happened to him. It's not hyperbole. It's not mythology. It's not, it's history. This is a story that literally happened to someone that, that, that human understanding cannot Explain. In fact, all the soldiers, as you continue reading, were put to death, right? Because they brought their story to their supervisors. And you know what the supervisors are thinking? Yeah, right? That they took bribes, that they let them out. And so they were all executed for being complicit, for failing in their, in their, in their duties. And, and, and here we have this amazing story that's put in the Bible for us in moments like today. So that whatever imprisoned you're trapped into and you've said to yourself, there's no way I could ever get out of here. He puts these stories in scriptures to remind us that, yes, he can. Listen to this verse in Psalm 77, 14. It says, you are the God of great wonders and you demonstrate your awesome power among the nations. At some point in our lives, we have got to get to a place where our heart is willing to embrace the reality that God can do anything. If, if, if we're not willing to let our hearts go there, then, then you're not ever going to be in a position to receive from God those supernatural moments that he wants us to walk in. So much of faith is about positioning ourselves to receive from him. See, I love the fact that Peter was asleep in the prison. Now, how many of you would be asleep in a situation like that? I'm not sure I would be asleep, right? nervous, you know how this is going to end because you saw how it ended with James, you saw how it ended with Jesus, you know, you knew how it ended with John the Baptist, he's in prison, he cannot get out, he know it's impossible, they've assigned all of these guards, what, four sets of four guards each, the plan is that he's going to be put on trial, the outcome's already determined, he's going to be put to death and he's asleep, I'm not sure, I'm, I'm nervous, right? I'm not sleeping in that moment. I'm praying. I'm afraid. I'm crying. I'm, I'm doing whatever I can. Peter, he's snoring, right? Why, why is he's not asleep because he's indifferent? He's asleep because he's a man of faith, because he knows that God can do anything. All of these natural things that make it seem impossible, Peter's like, that's not impossible for my God. He knows the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they were taken captive with Daniel. And, 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 they, and they make the statue. And Nebuchadnezzar says, everybody's going to bow. And they say, we're not going to bow. And so they get pulled aside. And they say, we're going to throw you in this fiery furnace. And they say, well, God can rescue us from that fiery furnace. If he chooses to, if he chooses not to, so be it. But it won't be because he can't. All throughout the Bible, we have these amazing stories of people who live their lives with this belief he can. God can do it. Whatever it is that you're here, that you're trapped in today, it doesn't matter what your story is. You might say, well, Fred, you don't know my situation. You don't know my story. And I don't know your situation. And I don't know your story. But what I do know is that God can. 
that he can do anything and he wants to do it for you. He can. All right, let's talk about we must. Let's talk about we must. I want to start in Proverbs 7. I'm going to start reading in verse 6. He says, while I was at the window of my house looking through the curtain, I saw some naive young men and one in particular who lacked common sense. He was crossing the street near the house of an immoral woman strolling down the path by her house. It was at twilight in the evening as deep darkness fell and the woman approached him seductively dressed in, uh, dr- seductively dressed in sly of heart. She was the brash, rebellious type, never content to stay at home. She is often in the streets and the market soliciting at every corner and she threw her arms around him and kissed him with a brazen look. She said, I've just made my peace offerings and fulfilled my vows and you're the one I've been looking for. All of our young people, they hadn't left for camp yet last night, so I turned to them and said, you know, young man, when, when a woman says that to you, you run the other way, right? Let's run the other way. I, I came out to find you, and here you are. My bed is spread with beautiful blankets with colored sheets of Egyptian linen. I've perfumed my bed with myrrh and aloe and cinnamon. And so as you, as you keep reading, it's this, this story of seduction, which is the picture of temptation. This is what we call a fill-in-the-blank text, meaning that the, the principle here is that temptation has a voice that calls out to us. Here, it's a temptation of sexual lust, but that not, might not be the temptation that you're facing. But temptation has a voice that calls to us, that tries to lure us in. Now, I love these two chapters in the Bible because that story continues. And then, right in chapter 8, we pick up with the voice of the Holy Spirit. And, and God gives us these texts as a contrast. So listen in chapter 8, verse 1. It says, listen as wisdom calls out, or as the Holy Spirit calls out, right? It's the contrast. Temptation is calling out to us. And the Holy Spirit is calling out to us. You've got to choose which voice that you're going to follow. Here, as understanding raises her voice on the hilltop along the road, she takes her stand at the crossroads, by the gates, at the entrance to the town, on the road leading in. This idea is that the Holy Spirit is everywhere. That no matter where you are facing your temptation, the voice of wisdom, the voice of the Holy Spirit is there to give you another choice. I call to you, all of you. I raise my voice to all people. You simple people, use good judgment. You foolish people, show some understanding. Listen to me, for I have important things to tell you. Everything I say is right, for I speak the truth and detest every kind of deception. My advice is wholesome. That's why I started with Proverbs chapter 1. There are consequences, hard consequences to ignoring the voice of the Holy Spirit. See, there's this idea that God can, but there is also this responsibility that we must. Peter, in the moment of his deliverance, he had to choose to get up and obey the commands of the angel. He had to choose. I love how in that story, it's he ordered. It wasn't as though the angel was making suggestions to Peter. I think this is the time that we should go. He said, hey, get up. Do this, do that, right? Peter understood this idea. That's what the fear of the Lord is about, which we referenced before. It's submitting to the authority of God. Peter was a man who submitted to the authority of God. We can believe that God has power. We can believe that he can, but if we don't discipline our heart to get to a place of we must, then we will never benefit from that power. We have got to be willing to obey God when he gives commands to us, and especially in moments of temptation. You can choose to either be a person that continues to listen to the voice of Proverbs 7, or you can be a person that listens to the voice of Proverbs 8. Temptation has a voice for all of us. 
whether it's the temptation, whether it's your crisis that you're imprisoned in, whether it's your personality, whether it's mediocrity, whether it's the sin of your present or the sin of your past, there is a voice that you have. There's a voice that I have that's trying to lure us outside of God's will for our lives. And in that moment, we have to remember that the Holy Spirit is also there calling out to us, giving us instructions, giving us a different path to take, asking us to do different things, and yes, sometimes giving us orders. I don't, I don't know about you, but nothing in our human heart likes to be ordered. Are you with me? None of us like that. We, we don't like people telling us what to do, but until we submit and surrender to this idea that God is supposed to be telling us what to do, and our heart has to step into a place of submission to him, then we can be the benefit of his power. God could have opened the gate, he could have broken off the change, he could have sent the angels, he could have hid them, which is so cool, right? That the, the many of the guards, they, they were awake and they didn't see, right? So, so they're, they're cloaked somehow, supernaturally, moving but not seen. He could have done all of that, but Peter could have chosen to disobey. Now, we read that story and go, that's ridiculous. Why would Peter have chosen to stay in the prison? And then all of a sudden we realize God says, well, that's what you do every day. I make all of these ways for you to live a different life, to be a different person, and I give you all of these commands, but yet you choose to stay in the place where you are instead of walking out into freedom. He can, but we must. We must choose to obey. All right, let's talk about no shame. He can, we must, no shame. Shame is rooted in the fear of what other people will think. That's the essence of shame. It's rooted in the fear of what other people will think. I got this letter this week, and uh, they said, hey, if you want to share some of this with the church, feel free. So I'm going to read a couple of excerpts. This is uh, from Rusty Pang. Uh, he's Navy? I think he's Navy. And, and they got orders. They were a bit of part of the Newport News campus for the last few years, and now they, I think they've moved up to, to Maryland. Just sweet family. So he writes, when we moved to Newport News, I'd been battling with intense depression for the past year. It was his prison. We had moved to a completely different coast and almost lost my daughter right after her birth, and I lost one of my best friends in California. I worked in a completely dysfunctional office day in and day out, and I pushed aside much of my feelings on these matters for what I felt was survival. I know that God had blessed me with many things. I have a beautiful wife and a daughter and a fast-track career progression and plenty of wisdom and knowledge. She's been a part of the church. She's been walking with God for a long time. So he's saying, I, you know, it, it, it wasn't for a lack of knowing what the Bible had to say. But I have also spent many, many hours, even years, frustrated. I've asked him one question, for what purpose did you make me? And I thrive on knowing where I'm headed. And one of the most difficult things for me is to deal uh, with, with his retaining his peace while fumbling around in the dark trying to know which way to walk. So when we finally arrived at City Life, I was distant to God. I was distant from my wife. I was just distant from life. For the most part, I'm pra I practiced at hiding it well. But I was floating in a turbulent sea two inches above the surface. And when you're on the verge of drowning, you aren't concerned about exercise, learning, building relationships, nothing. All you're trying to do is not drown. So he says, please share some of this with the church that hopefully this letter might encourage those who are suffering in silence. Because unfortunately, too many in the church feel like depression can never be, for, can never be, be something that a Christian experiences. He says, for those in the body who wonder and struggle with similar things, I say, hold on, keep the faith, take a breath, and consider eternity. It helps me, he says, gain perspective to rise above the cobwebs 
of the flesh. This terrible thing that you face is temporary and Jesus is eternal. And like temporary seasons, I feel like this last one is moving past us and I can see the sun shining through the clouds. It's powerful, isn't it? For, for, for maybe for you, for maybe for you, that's your prison. It's this feeling of, 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 of depression. And, and, and like Rusty, you just you hid all those years because you were ashamed of being honest about your struggle. And the devil loves to get us trapped into a place of, being, of, of, of shame because it isolates us. And once he isolates us, then he's got us in this prison that God's trying to set us free from. It might be one of the commands that God is giving you today is talk to somebody. It might be one of the commands that he's giving you today is stop hiding. Stop being embarrassed about your struggle. Everybody has struggles. And if you would only share that struggle with someone, that could be the, that could be the door that God is opening for you to begin your journey out of that place. Just like Rusty, you could tell from Rusty writing this letter that he was experiencing some sense of freedom just by confessing what he had been struggling with. It's powerful, isn't it? And, for, and we're just saying we want to be a church that says, hey, it's okay. It's okay to have struggles. Let's talk about those struggles and let's step into a place of authentic living. I think sometimes when we read the Bible, we forget that we have 2,000 years of history that helps us know the outcome, Right? When, when, when Peter, for us, is a spiritual superstar, right? I mean, he's, he's a Hall of Fame Christian, because of, but, but he wasn't 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, you know what the church was? It wasn't even called the church. They weren't even called Christians because that didn't happen until Antioch, until much later. And it wasn't even a good word. It's a word that they came up with as a, as, as a derogatory word. It was something that we would say would, would be profanity. It would be a word that was used to degrade and to demean. 2,000 years ago, Christianity was just a bunch of radical Jews that believed some crazy things. That's what it was 2,000 years ago. And they were ostracized. Many of them were kicked out of their families because they were accused of being heretics. They would have been kicked out of their synagogues. They would have been released from their churches. It was, it was, it was, they were not what we know them to be now. Now, you might say, well, Fred, when I read in Acts chapter 2, there was 3,000 people made decisions for Christ in one day. That sounds pretty powerful, and I'm not trying to diminish that. It was powerful, but just so you know, to put it in some context, that during the Feast of, of, of Pentecost, there would have been hundreds of thousands, if not a million people that were gathered in that city. It would be if I came to you and said, did you hear about the 3,000 people that gathered at the Hampton Coliseum? It was amazing. You would be like, 3,000 people in the Hampton Coliseum, what's that? That's nothing. Right, All the people that live in this area. That's what Christianity was at its inception. They were outcasts. It was this obscure movement. They were thought of as, as, as radicals. And so I'm sharing that with you because when you read this story of Peter and he's in this prison, he wasn't the spiritual superstar that we now know him to be today. And you might say, well, Fred, I don't know if this story really connects with me because with my sin, I'm guilty. And Peter was there as an innocent man. But if you look at this story as a contrast between guilt and innocence, you've missed the point. The, 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 the point that I think God is trying to make to us is that don't let shame keep you in a place where you don't belong. Because see, shame was Peter's struggle. That's why he denied Christ three times when Jesus had been arrested. He struggled with shame. When, 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 and after that sin had been committed, he was struggling with shame. And that's why Jesus had to come to him and ask him, do you love me three times, one for each denial? Peter was in this place where he was a man, as you study throughout his life, shame was something that he dealt with. There's this 
beautiful story where early on in Jesus' ministry where he realized Jesus is the Messiah and he falls at Jesus' feet and he says, get away from me. I'm a sinful man, right? Peter's journey is one of struggling with shame and I think that's why God orchestrated it so he's the one that's in this prison story so that we can get to moments like this because God knows that our struggle is shame too. Peter could have succumbed to shame in that prison. Peter could have said, you know what, I thought that this movement was taking off, but James has been killed, now I'm in prison, I'm going to die. Maybe we are just these radical people that really don't know what they're talking about. It could have been very easy for him to succumb to the voice of shame and slip back into the person that he was, but we know that's not the case. He's asleep because he's resting in the knowledge that God can. We see that when the commands come, he obeys and he walks out of this place. He does not let shame rob him of his destiny. And what I love about this story too is that Peter brings his story back into the community of the church. Can you imagine that prayer meeting, how it started compared to how it ended? All right? I mean, it started, right? Oh, I'm I'm believing, right? It says they're praying earnestly, but I think part of their earnest prayer is, God, what's going on? James is dead. Now Peter, he's supposed to be our leader. He's going to be killed soon. And then, right, I I think that place is they're struggling to find their faith. And the next thing you know, Peter's knocking on the I'm just telling you, that prayer meeting ended, I think, on a high note. For some of us who are stuck in shame because of our situation, not only are you stuck in a place of prison, but you're robbing the church of the testimony of your deliverance. One of the reasons why God moves to set us free, it is for us, but it's also that our story can now be put into the church and so the church can have the faith that it needs to go and do what it's supposed to do. See, you and I, if we stay stuck in this place, we're robbing the church that we call home of a story that that church needs to have the faith to believe for the things that God is asking it to do. And then sometimes your story of being set free is supposed to be the story that gives somebody else to have the faith that they can be free to. There's other people that are struggling with what you're struggling with, and it might be that you're right on the verge of, of breaking out into your freedom, but they're, they're, for them it's going to be maybe, it's going to take a few years, and it could be that your story gives them the faith to say that they're going to make it. It's one of the reasons why shame is such a terrible thing in churches, because people hide and people are afraid. Even if it's something that's happened in their past, they're, 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 they don't want to talk about it. And churches that don't create a, an atmosphere of authenticity like we do, they're robbing themselves of the stories and the testimonies of God's deliverance. We don't want that to be us. I remember the the uh, when when uh, when I started going back to church. It was it was in uh, the summer of 1990. I had moved. I had graduated from college. I had moved back home with my my parents, and so I was not. I was running from God as hard and as fast as I could, and living an ugly life. And but out of respect for them, I was trying to go to church with them a little bit. But I didn't like to be in the worship part of the services with a church like this because I felt so convicted, you know, for the way I was living. So I would always come in a little bit later, like right at the end of the last song. I would sneak in and find them and sit with them and so the song would end and I'd sit down and I would endure the message and so uh, there was a, a moment in that service where there was a, an opportunity to stand if you know somebody 
that, that's going through a hard time, we're going to invite you to stand and, and we're, and we're going to pray for that person through you and you're going to kind of stand in their place. And so I remember that in that moment uh, standing up and, and, and I think God knew that, that I wasn't ready to stand for myself. You with me? I wasn't ready to say I need help. But he knew that I would probably be willing to stand for somebody else. And so I, I stood in that moment. As, and as soon as I stood, I'm praying for my, my, my friend Sean. And I'm thinking, I'm not even sure God's going to hear my prayer because of the ugly life that I'm living. But as I'm standing, I realize I'm not just standing for him. I'm standing for myself. And I broke out in this crazy sweat. It was just weird, right? I'm just dripping sweat. And, and, and now I'm even more embarrassed. And I think God did that because he's trying to help me deal with this issue of not wanting to be conspicuous, right? I think this is God sense of humor and say, Fred, at some point you just got to get over yourself because you're not that, you're not that important, right? And so, and so I'm standing there and, and I'm sweating and I know that everybody in that church, I'm thinking they don't really know who I am, but as I look back down, I was probably on every prayer list, right? Every prayer chain that existed in that church because my, pa- I, my parents knew that I was living such a terrible life and that wasn't how I was raised. And so I think when I stood up, I think everybody's going, that's, that's Paul and Winifred's son. He's standing and he's sweating. Something's happening in his life, right? That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And I'm sharing with that story because at some point, we've got to get over ourselves. We just have to get over ourselves. And, and being conspicuous sometimes is part of the journey. It's just being honest about who we are and the struggles that we're having. And I hope at the end of this service, which we're going to get to in a few minutes, that there's going to be an opportunity for you just to, just to let God do in you what he wants to do. No return. He can, we must, no shame, no return. Proverbs 26, verse 11. says, as a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his foolishness. 2 Peter 2.22 says this. They prove the truth of this proverb, and Peter quotes this proverb, a dog returns to its vomit. And then he adds to it, another says, a washed pig returns to the mud. See, see, you can believe that he can. You can make some strides today in this area of we must, knowing that you're saying, I know I've got, I've got to do some things differently. I've got to be a Proverbs 8 person, not a Proverbs 7 person. And you can even get to this place of saying, no shame. I'm not going to let shame rob me anymore. I'm not going to hide. I'm not going to isolate. You can do all of those things, but if you don't get this one right, you're going to be right back from where you started with before you know it. It's this idea of no return. At some point, you've got to say to yourself, I'm not going back there. I'm not ever going back there again. That's... No return. I remember in the summer of 1991, I ended up making a vow of devotion to Christ in December of 1990. And so I went on a, a missions trip uh, that, that first summer in 91. We went down to Belize and we did a, a war refugee, in a war refugee camp, we did a, a, a vacation Bible school for the kids. And so I'm on that trip, and, and uh, I'm, we're in the, the, they, they were the, uh, the country of Belize would give these Salvadorian families some land in the jungle, and they would, they would clear it, and they lived in these thatched huts. It was super primitive, and there was a couple of cinder block buildings where they had built a school, and then there was a, 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 just a, a multi-use building, a cinder block building where we, where we slept. It was kind of open on the sides and a, and a tin roof, and we're sitting in there, and we were having dinner, and, and we began to sing some 
some worship songs. It was a team, I guess, of about 15 or so people, and somebody had a guitar, and, 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 and they began to sing the song, we, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. And uh, I was joking last night, I wish it was, I could sing and play, right? I'd just go get the car and start, uh, the guitar and start playing, but that would end very bad for you. So I'm not going to do that. So, so it would not have the effect that I would hope that it would have. But we, if you know that song, if you've been around the church for as, as, as long as, as I have, I grew up in it, they, were all, they had all these choruses in the 70s that they would sing when there was this great move of the Holy Spirit in, in a lot of mainline denominational churches. And my parents were a part of that, grew up in the Episcopal Church, and, and they would have these prayer meetings that would last forever. Ever, and I can just, they would just sing these songs over and over. And Danielle was laughing, and over. And, I, and as a kid, I'm like, come on, that song's got to have more verses than that, right? I mean, can you give me a break? Right? But, right? but now we know they didn't, it wasn't about the song, it was about your presence is heaven to me, like we sang today. And so there's this one song, I've decided to follow Jesus, though none go with me, and still I will follow. And it would have similar course, they would say, and, and, and there was this part of the phrase, they would say, no turning back, no turning back. And they go to that, and then it would end up, no turning back, no turning back. And we're singing that song in, in Big Lee's, and I'm down there, and, and then all of a sudden I just begin to weep. Just weep. It's, 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 it's probably six months or so after I made that vow of devotion to Christ. But that's the moment, that's the moment where I knew I was never going back. So many times before, I had gone to camp, like some of our kids are going to camp, and I'd come back and say, I'm going to live different, but I'd go, I was the dog that returned to its vomit time and time, but I knew in that moment, never again. That, that was my no, for some of you today, needs to be your no return moment. For some of you today, this is going to be the, the Sunday in July of 2015, 10 years from now. You're going to have a story to tell like I have a story to tell like when I was in Belize. You're going to say, I was in Williamsburg on this Sunday in July of 2015. And that's the day was my no return moment where I knew I'm never, ever, ever going back. We're going to invite Celeste to come back up and we're going to close with a song today. This is in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. I'm closing with this verse just in case some of you are saying, Fred, if you only knew my story, you'd understand I get a pass because it's just different. And God says to you and me, it really isn't that different from anybody else. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, no temptations in your life are any different from what others experience. And God is faithful and he will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. And when you are tempted... He will show you a way out so that you can endure. So I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we worship. And, and, I, and I'm going to challenge you to, to be a little conspicuous today. And I know it's a little bit harder. There's a couple hundred people in the Newport News campus, and it's dark in there. We're in this warehouse, right? And sometimes it's easier just to find your way at the altar there, I think, sometimes because people can't see you. But on a day like this, right, you can be seen. And I think for some of you today, that's because God knows that you need to be seen. And so for here, just this little space right over here on the side, on this side, and this little space on the side, on that side, I just want you to think of that as an altar area, as a sacred place. And if you're here today and anything that I've talked about is speaking to your heart and you're saying, I know, I need to walk out of a place. I'm not going to ask you to do anything else. I'm not going to ask you to come up and tell your story. We're not going to trick you into doing anything different. I'm just saying, practice what it feels like to walk out of a place. Sometimes we need to do with our physical body what needs to be happening in our immaterial self. And so I want you to think of how many steps it's going to take from where you are to that place. And I'm just saying, if, if today your heart has been stirred by some of the things, I'm just telling you, 
you can find a place of freedom by just beginning for the first time to begin to take some steps toward God. In the book of James, it says, when we draw near to God, He draws near to us. So Father, for, for whoever is here this morning that, that needs to do something in the natural because of what needs to happen in the supernatural, I pray that in this moment, that as we sing this song, they would just find the courage to say, I'm willing to be seen today. I'm willing to say, I've got some prisons in my life that I know that I need to walk out of and never return. In Jesus' name, come on, let's worship together. Take a 